0: You may have seen, this was something of a headline uh, today, but uh, evidently there is a TikTok influencer out there. I don't quote, often quote TikTok influencers, but uh, and, uh, she was surprised to find a study that says that the average American man thinks about the Roman Empire daily. Have y'all read this study? So this influencer asked her husband, husband, how often do you think about the Roman Empire And he says, daily, it's just what we do. It's just one of these little windows into the heart of your average American male. Now, why do men in America think about the Roman empire? Because it was amazing. (laughs) Why wouldn't you think about the Roman empire? It kind of fits that ideal of glory and power and might and majesty and all this kind of stuff. We sort of forget all the slaughter that occurred as a result of the Roman empire. But, but there's this dream that men have, uh, and it is this, this ideal of what it means to, to be a man. What's well, interesting, in ministry, we have an ideal. Ministers, people who go into ministry, by nature, in some ways, are idealistic, and that's one reason why so many actually fall away over time, is their ideals become uh, crushed through disappointment and that kind of thing, and uh, often over time, we learn the truth of this old axiom, to live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory, but to live below with the saints we know, well, that's another story, (laughs) (laughs) and there's a little bit more truth to that ditty than we would uh, really want to appreciate or affirm, certainly in our church, but that is something of the case that we come to as we look at the The church in Philippi today, there is a struggle that's going on. There is disharmony between two prominent women in the church. And as we've gone through this journey in Philippians, and we've seen this this overwhelming joy that is expected of the Christian, and, and we've seen the affirmation that the Apostle Paul has for this church, we look at this church and we think, in some ways, it's an ideal church. Folks, there's no such thing as an ideal church. We all have our issues. The apostle said in Acts chapter 14, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. So while the Philippian church was one of Paul's favorite churches, uh, uh, and uh, he is now dealing with some of the, the, the discord that is occurring between some of the women of the church. And remember, this church was founded by women. They play a very prominent role in the church, uh, but there's a threat of unity, of disunity here in the church because of what's going on. So the apostle Paul is going to address it. And my hope, as we look at Philippians 4, chapters 1, I mean verses 1 through 5 this morning, that we'll be able to stand firm in our faith as we seek to resolve conflict and be united in joy. With one another, let's go to the Lord in prayer and see what He might do uh, through this verse in our lives today. God, we do turn to you, Lord, and we just uh, we just recognize the fact that uh, we're not as joyful as we need to be. That sometimes we do harbor resentment and bitterness. Uh, Sometimes the people we should love we snub. Uh, We are not as loving as we need to be. We're not as caring as we need to be, and we are often convicted of that as we come before you in corporate worship. So I pray, Lord God, that you would help us just to understand how important this sort of unity, standing firm in the faith with one another, looking out for the interest of the other, uh, how important that is for us to be able to be a good witness, but also to experience the kind of joy that is promised in this precious letter to the Philippians. So bless us now, we pray. Help us to do our part But Lord, we come before you in reliance on the Holy Spirit to apply these truths to our heart and help us to be able to apply it in whatever challenge, whatever uh, wonderful thing that is going on in our lives right now. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So as we go through this passage, let me read it in its entirety and then we'll break it down into its five components. But uh, again, Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. God says, the Apostle Paul writes... Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you, Adia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life rejoice in the lord always again i say rejoice let your reasonableness be known to everyone the lord is at hand as we look at this text you might uh, might find some uh, some assistance from looking at your home group helps insert and basically we're going to break down this text into basically the five imperatives given by the apostle paul We're going to see that we are to stand in verse 1, agree in verse 2, help in verse 3, rejoice in verse 4, and be gentle in verse 5. So first of all, looking at uh, the fact that we need to stand here, Paul starts off this passage with therefore. And what he's doing here, there's a great transition here. He's been speaking of the great... Uh, the great indicatives, the great doctrines of Christianity, who you are in Jesus Christ. And it's so often the case, he begins with that so that you know who you are in Christ, but then he begins down the obedience portion, the expectations. If you are a Christian, this is the way you're supposed to live. So this is where he is going now, and he's going to address this issue in the church here. Um, and, and he, and, but he's going to start off here by affirming just how much he loves the the Philippians and how grateful he is here. So he gives five affirmative affirmations here. He calls them my brothers. This is the this will be the fourth time that he mentions this. He's going to mention it one other time. He sees them as family. They are his family. Again, which is a miracle consider that Paul was raised to be a racist. He was raised to despise Greeks in a sense. He was raised uh, probably in a very fundamentalist uh, 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 retreating kind of uh, atmosphere in his home. He was was raised to be an Orthodox Hebrew. He was sent off to school there in Jerusalem, this kind of thing. And, And that sort of religious pride made him look down on the very people that he is now calling brothers. This is the power of Jesus Christ to change the hard human heart. And to call people he used to consider enemies, reprobates, pagans, despised Zeus worshipers, brothers. The term there, of course, also, uh, the Greek term could also include sisters as well, much like our term, mankind includes both male and female. But the reason why he can do this is, what is something that he stated in Galatians chapter 3, right? There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. Heirs according to a promise. Abraham is our spiritual daddy. No matter your sex. No matter your economic position. No matter your nationality. No matter your skin tone. We are one family. If you have the Holy Spirit... You are Abraham's offspring. And he, he, he mentions this, they're my brethren. He, this is a personal and intimate relationship he has with them. Then he says, whom I, I loved, now, that you are the beloved here. This is the, uh, the adjectival form of agape, the strongest word for the Greek love. Uh, I long for you. There's a deep, heartfelt emotion here. My joy, they are the source of his joy. When Paul is is tempted to get discouraged and look at his chains uh, and and, and think about how inhibited, in a sense, his ministry has been over these four years of imprisonment and how unfair and unjust the system is and how he's been betrayed and how there are people in Rome that are preaching just to upset the Apostle Paul, he looks to the Philippian church and thinks, they are my joy, they are my joy. I do that with y'all. I think about how the Lord is sanctifying you and how He is just creating you more and more into the image of Christ and the enthusiasm you have for the ministry. And I just marvel. At 10 o'clock yesterday, a bunch of men from this church went to go set up the fellowship meal at Tim's Mill. That just gives me joy. That gives me joy. And the prospect of fried chicken, that also gives me joy. But mostly the men that worked hard. People showed up early this morning to make sure the coffee was going and to serve. Uh, 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 a lot of you cooked a uh, 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 couple of dishes to be able to share with other people. That just gives me joy. A lot of you college students, y'all walked down that dorm and you could hear snoring to your left and snoring to your right. And yet you got dressed and you came to church. That gives me joy. We need to think about that. We so often think, look about all oh, the problems in the world and the headlines and the difficulties and stuff like that. But we are each other's joy. We are each other's joy. And then I love this statement here. He says, "And crown." That crown. That word for crown is really wreath. It's the athletic wreath, the, the, the prize that you win when you get a uh, you, when you win a race. And and I did a research on this whole idea of crown here and. Uh, A crown of best type. And you've seen this, you know, the laurel wreath that would go on top of someone's head. It could be made of wild olive, laurel, pine, or celery. (laughs) Celery? Why would you put a bunch of celery on your head? But evidently that was, uh, maybe it was like a winter thing or something like that. But they would put this on there. You get your crown of your laurel wreath or your celery, maybe with a little bit of ranch dressing on top to go with it. But you get this, you basically, you're the winner, you're the winner, you're the winner. That's what Paul is saying. You are my prize. I have labored. I was thrown in jail in your hometown. Y'all are thriving despite the persecution, despite the difficulty. You are my crown. You showed that the race has been run there. Can't you just feel his emotion? He's just so affectionate here. And then he gives them this challenge to stand firm thus in the Lord. We've seen this term before. It is a military term. It it was standing firm is the reason why most of you men think about the Roman Empire at least daily. It was that discipline of the Roman legions that caused them to be able to conquer everybody else in in the Mediterranean world, except the Scots, by the way. they stood firm. They often went against people who were larger, more powerful, perhaps even braver. But it was the discipline of them going shield to shield and, and holding firm and looking out for each other's back. And they were disciplined in that the front rank would get tired. The, 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 the legionnaire would blow the whistle and then a new rank would replace them and they, while the enemy is exhausting themselves, assaulting their shields, And they eventually would just win down wind down and just beat down the enemy through exhaustion. They stood firm. Folks, barbarians are after us. (laughs) Barbarians are after this church. Barbarians are after your family. You cannot let down your shield. And you need to know the rest of us are behind you and we're looking after your interests as well. We cannot let the barbarians in. Let me tell you, there, there are plenty of examples in this town, in this country, where once great denominations, denominations that were known for their love of Scripture, denominations that were known for the gospel, for evangelism, for pious living, caved over time and let liberalism come in and eat away and destroy the church to the point where it's almost just a religious rotary club now. It's a social club There's Bibles there, but they are left unopened. Good denominations, denominations that our grandparents were part of. You're a fool if you don't think that could happen here. It can happen here. It has happened to better churches than us. We are to stand firm. How does it happen? A lot of times it happens because we don't get along with each other. Uh, because we we forget the reason why we hear, we become consumers, and we just we decide what's it, what's in it for me in this particular church. But if we are united in looking upward and looking outward, we will be able to stand firm here. Uh, well, now we see here this uh, this idea that we are to agree here. Paul is uh, he's dealing with a situation with these two prominent women here. Now this is not an issue of doctrine. If it had been an issue of doctrine. Paul would have addressed it. You know, Paul ain't real shy about addressing bad doctrine. He would have addressed it. If it was an issue of worship, he would have addressed it. There's a personal spat. There's, a, there's an offense here that has grown out of proportion of what actually happened. And Paul is going to basically address these women head on here. So he says he wants us to agree. I entreat you, Adia, and I treat Syntychea. Uh, to get along, to agree in the Lord. You know what's interesting is these two women, who are obviously very prominent women, the, de- the, the problem with that is you end up, when there's a, there's a, there's a discord, you end up creating factions behind you. Uh, th- these, si- these things always take sides, and, and Paul knows that. He knows human nature, nature, so he's concerned about this. But one of the interesting things, these women's names, they actually, Euodia means success, and synnthache means happy event. What a great name happy event uh, so so you would think that they would be very positive, but there's evidently there's a storm brewing here. He feels like he has to address this publicly now you need to remember you need to put yourself in their their sandals here. Paul is writing this from Rome. He is bound. He's on, in, uh, under uh, guard. He is at home arrest. He sends this letter back to the Philippian church. It's really a thank you letter for the donation that he's given them. But he's checking on them and he wants them to know how he's doing. They're going to get this, this letter and they're going to call the church together or wait till Sunday when they meet. And they say, Paul wrote us a letter. Let's open it up. And then we get to the point where he is calling out these two women. They're right there. They are right there. So he's calling them out, and all eyes are, are going on them. He appeals to them. Notice this. This is a, a, an, a an, an imperative. It's a command, but he, he, but he's appealing. He, he trusts their maturity enough where he can just appeal to them out of love rather than command them to get together. Plus, they've got to change their hearts, and sometimes if you just command someone who's embittered, that's just going to make it even worse. So he entreats them to do what? Live in harmony that means to exercise the mind or to seek the same thing of the lord and what he's trying to do he's trying to get their eyes off their own issue their own little rights that have been violated and on to the worship of the lord y'all that's the key that's the key he's trying to direct them towards uh, where they need to be in the lord for the sake of unity you know our session met we're meeting uh, next monday night we met last week uh One of the the practices we've had from the beginning here is we we do affirm Robert's rules of orders on how these things ought to go. But sometimes there is a a stiffness with this idea of voting and all this kind of stuff. And, And really, whenever possible, and it usually is possible, we just try to come to consensus. We just try to come to consensus, even, for instance, on the purchase of this property uh, we actually had to have a vote, but that was after we came to consensus because we wanted the, the records to be able to show it and that kind of thing. But really, if there's an elder who just uh, an elder who just is, is firmly set against something, usually it's not so urgent. We can't just say, OK, let's wait a little while. Let's 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 take a little bit of time on this. Let's not press this point too much. We really want to have consensus. And, and that's really a good way to kind of avoid some of these things in many ways. The, the whole principle here is to be a peacemaker. To be a peacemaker. Now, one of the things about being a Christian, by definition, you have to have a certain level of humility to become a Christian because you have to recognize I'm a sinner separated from God. I am under his wrath. I need a savior. Prideful people don't say that. They think I'm going to get into heaven because, well, I'm pretty good looking, <laughs> very talented. And, uh, and, I, uh, and I was... Uh, ordained or not ordained, what do you call it? I was, uh, uh, became a member of a church when I was age 12 or I surrendered my life, whatever. You know, we, 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 we require some humility to be a Christian. Well, that humility doesn't stop once you get converted. It needs to maintain while you're there. And if you are humble, you will have a desire to be a peacemaker. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. That's a pretty high title. Sons of God, those who desire unity within the church. Now, this is unity without compromise. Again, this is not a doctrinal issue. So these two women are sitting in this room. He calls them out and everything. And he's basically he's he's addressing the gorilla that's in the room. You know, our church is doing so well, except for this big problem that we have here. And Paul has got enough courage to be able to address this thing. He's he is keeping with what he said in the first Thessalonians chapter four. He admonishes the unruly, encourage the fainthearted, help the weak and be patient with everyone. John MacArthur says this, uh, uh, this is doctrinally sound, uh, disunity robs a church of its power, destroys its testimony, and a church facing hostile external enemies cannot afford to have its members fighting among themselves. Think about it. You're in, a, you're in one of these, you've men, you've all, you think about this daily, but you've got to help your wives here. They're, you're in a Roman phalanx here. You're going forward with the shield. You're beating back the barbarians. What if the guy behind you starts stabbing your ankles? What if he starts, you know, jumping on your shoulders? What if it, Well, that's what we have here. And it's going to happen. The barbarians are going to come in because the problem's coming from the inside of the circle, not outside of the circle. So he calls out these two women. He tells them to repent. By the way, you know, I like to take a lot of lessons from the Apostle Paul. I've decided to randomly call out members during sermons just to kind of help you keep awake and see how that goes. And if you don't like it, you can take it up with Paul. Here we go. Now we have come here to this point of help here. Yes, I ask you true companion here uh, uh, again. He, he, he's pulling in somebody else. And this is something else that needs to happen. You need to be available to do this for people. This idea of companion, he doesn't actually give him a name, but it may be that companion or yoke fellow Sugios was actually his name. Uh, like uh, Barnabas was a son of encouragement. He might, that actually may be his name, or it may be Clement. There's been a lot of ink spread on who this companion is, but he craw- calls out this this person, companion, Sugios, to be able to uh, to come through. They need a mediator. They need somebody to be able to take, sit down and tell, talk, talk to uh, uh, both sides of it, be able to do this. And he says here, you need to help these wo- women. That, that word is stronger than you think. That idea of help. Uh, means to arrest, capture, take hold of. It's the words used of the Roman soldiers arresting Jesus and of Peter being arrested. So he's basically saying someone right now needs to grab these women and you need to resolve this conflict. You need to resolve this issue. Because it it always goes beyond just the two who are in conflict. Bitterness creates this, this noxious fume in the church. And, and there's just that the, the scowling and the anger and the and the and the lack of repentance and, and the and the taking of the sides can destroy a congregation. Paul understands that, so he's saying, "Come in. We don't want this thing to fester. Come in and help." You know, as, uh, as I do marriage counseling, a, a good counselor will often just ask questions. You know, what's going on here? What's the problem? How did this thing start? And it's amazing how people, as they began to explain to a third party how this thing started, how, how immature this whole thing is, how silly this whole thing is. How did this ever come about? I've used this illustration before, but again, there's a newspaper article some years ago about a big church in Texas that split And as a reporter was real interested in how this happened, he started interviewing people, and it came down to it that an elder was served a smaller piece of chicken than a child in front of him in the fellowship meal. And that split the church. These things, the devil gets in and just grows these things beyond comparison. And I I happen to mention that the day of a fellowship meal, just in case any of you are, like, chicken offended. But once you start explaining you really kind of feel stupid that this thing has turned into this, right? Have you, have you been down that road before? So that's what these folks are supposed to do. They're supposed to be coming up and, 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 and working this thing out with this third party here. Uh, you know, this is another reason why, if you'll notice, when we have communion, I will often say, you need to prepare your hearts for communion. And I'll often say, if, you, if you're embittered, you need to get rid of that bitterness because, folks, we've had bitterness in this church, and, and, uh, and it's hurt people before. Even people who hear the word of God, who are working desperately to please the Lord, we all have our little, our, our little things that we're sensitive about, and somehow some people can be insensitive about them. They walk on your sensitivity, and you get all offended, and it can grow, and it can grow and it can grow. So this is what he is warning us about. Ephesians 4 says this, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you're sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God and Christ forgave you. Forgive each other just as God and Christ forgave you. Given the right circumstances, the right upbringing, there's nothing that we, uh, there's no sin we couldn't also do. And, and given the right. Uh, the, 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 the flash of anger. Whatever we could say. Just about anything. Hebrews 12. Warns us. Do not let the root of bitterness spring up. Because it defiles many. It defiles many. And, and, and I've seen that. I've seen that in the decades of ministry. That I've been in. Folks. It, whatever you're thinking about right now. That you may be embittered for. Just you, Stop repent from that it's going to hurt us all we don't even can't even put a finger on it we can't even put a label on it sometimes but we can we can feel this carson newell okay i'm just didn't work i don't is he here there he is yes did it work were you paying attention it worked all right He says here, be with Clement and the rest of my bells. Obviously, Clement's probably an officer in the church. Uh, And then he gives gives us this wonderful whose names are in the book of life. Don't you love that term? That is actually a very common term in Scripture here. Luke chapter 10, verse 20 says, do not rejoice in this. That's the casting out of spirits that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. You. Uh, Euodia, Synthochi, Clement, Sergios, Paul, Timothy, all their names, because they're Christians, their names are recorded in the book that contains of those who are going to receive eternal salvation, whose blood, uh, the blood of Jesus was applied to them, who were who were uh, possessors of the Holy Spirit. Revelation 3, 5 says this. He who overcomes us will thus be clothed in white garments, and I will not erase his name from the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. This isn't figurative language. I mean, I know it's from Revelation. It's apocryphal literature. But I really think that's what's going to happen here. Revelation 20. He says here, I saw the dead, the great, the small standing before the throne and books were open. Another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And if someone's name was not found in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Described in the New Jerusalem, Revelation 21 says, Those who come into it, uh, those, th- those are those whose names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You see what he's trying to do? He's trying to get you, Adia, others to focus upwards. This little spat that you're having, you're not even going to remember a year from now, and you're certainly not going to care about it when you get to heaven. And God is proclaiming your name. Jesus is proclaiming your name before the father, before the angels. And you're going to be there in eternal bliss. It's amazing the things we just worry about, the things that we we get all uptight about, the arguments that we start, the bitterness that we we harbor, the lack of forgiveness. Uh, And and we just seem like this is going to change forever. And then again, you don't even remember it a few months from now. And you're certainly not going to remember it when you get to heaven. The key is to focus upwards, to get your eyes off yourself. Luke chapter 10 gives us a great illustration of Mary and Martha. Now, as they were traveling along, they entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted by all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord. Do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? I can't believe she said that. <laughs> I mean, she, they're good enough friends. I guess she felt like she could. Then tell her, just assuming that he would agree with her. Uh, and then the Lord answered and said, Martha, Martha. Y'all know this text. You are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. That's powerful stuff. The focus needs to be up. She, Martha, and, that, and this happens, doesn't it? She's doing all the work. She's getting all bittered. She sees her sister as a slacker. You know, I brought four things to the covered dish meal, and you just bought a bag of Doritos. It happens, right? And Jesus says, you know what? Just worship me. Worship me. Rejoice, 5A. Here comes this theme again, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Why? Because he's on his throne. Because he will take care of everything. Again, re- rejoice is an imperative verb. It requires continual, habitual rejoicing here. Uh, we are in the Lord. We rejoice in the Lord rather than our circumstances. Truly, it's it's possible to be weeping, but also have Christian joy at the same time. This is not a call to be a robot. To be a Vulcan. To have no emotion. To not understand what's going on there. It's, it is a call. The, the Christian can have joy. Even the most difficult situations. Because your joy is not dependent upon the circumstances. That's happiness. There is a deeper longing. And, and when things don't go well. And they often don't go well. You can have that settled peace of. I'm still going to heaven. My Lord reigns. This bad medical report. Came from the Lord. And there's going to be something better coming out of it as a result of that. The bad financial woes that we're going through right now, that's from the Lord. And I've learned over time that something better is going to come out of that. And a joy can, is actually possible here for the Christian that the world will never understand. It's, it remains a mystery. And as if just to underline the case, Paul mentions this idea of rejoicing 16 times in Philippians. And he is in chains at the time. It all has to do with your relationship with God. Everything has to do with your relationship with God. And if you are a worshiper, this sort of joy is much easier to obtain. A.W. Tozer said this. Worship is pure or based on the worshiper as the worshiper entertains high or low thoughts of God. That's why one reason why you need to come to church, you need to go to Bible studies, you need to read good Christian books, you need to understand the catechisms, because the more you understand God and the more you can settle in the fact that he cares for you, he loves for you, and everything that happens through his hand is good for you in an ultimate sense. You can put your trust in him. So we have a high view of God, so we have a high view of God's providence and care in our lives. What a wonderful example here is Hannah. When Hannah prayed in 1 Samuel, My heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. I rejoice in your salvation. If all you have is the fact that everything's taken away from you, your relationships, your health, your money, you become a Job. If all you have is that your name is written in the book of life, there's reason to joy. There's reason to rejoice. There's reason to to press on and to stand firm. And then he closes here by saying, be gentle. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at your hand. That's the, the English Standard Version. That's probably not the best translation for that term. It can be a gentle spirit. Uh, it's probably gentle spirit or gentleness is probably a better way. It's so interesting. We think about, uh, you know, you keep using this illustration of the, of the Roman standing firm. And yet you do so in gentleness. How does that work? Well, it because it's a principle that comes from another realm, because a principle of heaven, not of this earth. And when we are gentle, we are like our Lord, who is gentle and lowly of heart. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 20, but Jesus called them to himself and said, you know, the rulers of the Gentiles rule it over them and their great men exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wishes to become great shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for the many. You're following after Christ when you are gentle, when you lead by example. Again, you think of that remarkable situation in the upper room. They all get up there. There wasn't a servant there to wash their feet. Jesus just decides to wash all the apostles' feet by himself. That's leadership. That's life-changing leadership. Let me give you a couple of tips here on how to do this. First of all, look to overlook the faults of others. There are also faults you probably have yourself. Be humble in that respect. Um... If, if there is this long-term dispute uh, that has to do with a personality kind of thing or a misunderstanding thing, look for something you can apologize for. Be the gentle one. Be the, look for something. There's probably something that you've done, even if what you said was true, whatever, maybe was the way you said it, Look for something you can apologize for. And just remember Proverbs 15, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. I, I have found just in my own life I am most likely to say something stupid when I'm rushed and in a hurry or when I'm packing the car. Especially when we had little children, you know? I mean it's like loading Noah's Ark. And this is so you know, but you're frustrated, you're in a hurry. And and, and, and if you can just calm down, not rush into something take the time because people matter than appointment more than appointments they matter more than stuff they matter more than your agenda take the time to settle down provide a gentle answer which turns away wrath and you know why we can do this what's it say because the lord is at hand that might mean he's returning soon it probably means he's here He's in this room right now. He's with you wherever you go. We live our life, Coram Deo, before the face of God. Jude 24 says, now him who is able to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless and with great joy. He's going to go on, as Lord willing, we'll look at next Sunday. He's going to go on to say, be anxious for nothing. Why can we do that? Because the Lord's at hand. The Lord is at hand. When he gave the great commission for the church to go out into all the nations, he closed it by saying, I am with you even to the end of the age. Aren't you glad we don't worship idols? If you worship an idol, you got to take that idol with you wherever you go. Our God is not a God who is worshiped by idols. He is there everywhere. An idol is a grievous insult to him. The reason why we don't need idols is because he is already everywhere all at once. He is here with you. Now, so I won't be anxious and I won't be bitter. This idea of standing firm is a consistent theme throughout of all of Holy Scripture. Psalm 40. The psalmist says this, and this is an encouragement for all of us to stand firm in this principle of getting along with each other. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. He set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. That's why we can stand firm. Father, I do pray that you would help us to apply these truths. Let us look at the example of the Apostle Paul. Help us to lay aside our petty jealousies, our bitterness, our competition, And to love each other as they truly are a child of the living God. We need your help in this, Lord. We all have our scars. We all have our hurts. But help us to be able to walk with a clean conscience. Without harboring the lack of forgiveness or the bitterness that does indeed defile many. In Christ's name, amen.